Welcome to episode 24 of Rethinking with Alex Torpy. I'm your host, Alex Torpy. In this episode, I wanted to explore some of the dynamics behind something that we can call perpetual adversarialism. What happens when people get sorted and then locked into two opposing sides or interests? We've talked about this on the podcast before, and it's one of the biggest problems we face in how we come together to solve shared problems, often distracting us from searching for more nuanced solutions, perpetuating misinformation, creating exclusion, and incentivizing divergent narratives versus convergent, and so many more problems. Ultimately, it's contributing to our breakdown in trust in information, each other, and institutions. We'll discuss why this can rise to exist and four different ways that you can push back on it and create a more sustainable civic ecosystem in your organization or in your community. Remember, if you like what you hear, please consider liking, subscribing, sending to a friend, or leaving a positive review. Enjoy. Okay, welcome everyone. In this episode, I wanted to reflect on a really important concept that's at the foundation of many of the challenges that we are seeing play out in relation to polarization, negative and bad discourse, and basically the inability to bring groups together to make good collaborative decisions. I shared some of this information along with some other conceptual and some more tactical level ideas this past week with members of the New Jersey Municipal Management Association in a webinar uh, I hosted entitled Using the Internet to Build Public Engagement and Trust. So I want to pull this idea out and talk about it in a little more detail here on the podcast. I think it's really valuable for folks that are working in government, working in management capacities, or just anybody in general that wants to get into some of the uh, deeper concepts about why we're seeing um, such a difficulty in having better conversations. Now, first, the reason why we're talking about these things. Now, I don't think we actually need a ton of statistical data here, although I'll actually present some in a moment. Most of us seem to be aware of and are reflecting on the increased division that we are seeing, breakdown of civil conversations, um, and the inability to make good decisions at international, national, state, and tragically some local levels as well. And not only have I seen this in some of the communities that I've worked in and heard it from some colleagues in the management and other spaces, but I also heard this uh, when I met and talked to people across the four months that I spent traveling across the United States last year. Now, I did do a brief survey about this through the New Jersey MMA a few months ago, and I want to share some of those responses here. I had about 40 responses, and in answer to the question, what is the biggest challenge in your community uh, preventing better discussion about important local issues? Here's what some of the responses were. False information posted on social media and a lack of participation at council meetings. The biggest challenge I find is getting the people who are happy to be more engaged and actively involved. You always hear from those who are angry about an issue or super passionate, but the majority of people typically don't care until something major comes up. Public understanding of what government agencies can and can't do. Lack of professional and consistent non-biased media coverage. Misinformation spread by social media. The current state of politics, unwillingness of those with differing political views to compromise. There's no one source of information and the community gets their info from multiple sources. So this just highlights some of the responses that we got from administrators. And many of the responses were sort of similar to this. And what we found for our responses, a couple things that I'll highlight here. 
84% say that their elected officials want more and broader participation and volunteerism. 75% say that a small group of people tend to dominate the local civic and political space. And 69% say that the local government could accomplish more if more people were more constructively engaged. And out of the communities that responded, 38% responded that they had no or inadequate local media coverage. So that just sets up some of the issues here uh, a little bit. So this is all very real. And this is directly from some folks that are kind of stuck right in the middle between different stakeholders of trying to navigate some of these issues in their communities and help those communities plan and prepare for a future that's more sustainable, more prosperous. Um, now, if I were to simplify these results down to something really concise, which if any of you listen to my podcast, you know is a challenge for me, but it's worth doing here. I think we can look at things through the following framework. And the problem on a broad level seems to be that people are losing trust in A, the information they consume, B, each other, and C, institutions, especially decision-making institutions. So first, if you don't trust the information that circulates, that means that you are more likely to buy into information presented by people you already know or trust or agree with or who belong to the same cultural or political or other uh, sort of identity-based group. Second, by doing that, it perpetuates the bonds within groups and perpetuates this narrative of the good guys or the right side versus the bad guys or the wrong side. And third, if you don't trust the institutions that are facilitating, facilitating decision-making, then you may not even buy into their credibility to determine solutions or outcomes. And I think at that point, it's people disengaging and throwing stones is not really that hard um, to understand. And this is one of the uh, most important deeper dynamics at the foundation of how we see things changing right now um, on all of those different levels, let alone to fester this dynamic um, that I want to talk about uh, will likely cause some of the problems that we've identified such as the existence or perpetuation of misinformation or inability for people to incorporate new information to the way they're thinking, people engaging negatively with each other, especially if you think you're on the right side and you think everybody else is on the wrong side, and a lack of trust or buy-in to the institutions that are ultimately charged with making decisions. And so this dynamic, we can call something like perpetual adversarialism. And this is basically when people get sorted into one group or another group. Their entire framework for consuming information and what they believe, who they trust, or what decisions that they agree with, it's no longer reliant upon the facts of the matter or navigating things based on incorporating new information and learning from other people, but it's just based on who proposes the, the idea or who circulated the information or who made the decision. The good guys are the bad guys, the Democrats are the Republicans, line A or line B. Everything is becoming filtered through this lens from the very start. And positions on issues that should be up for discussion or debate or to change your mind on in the future are getting locked into place in sort of semi-permanent positions that people defend with extremism instead of being open to change. This perpetual adversarialism is a condition that's more likely to exist 
when there's only two parties that may have differing incentives or interests in a given environment. Now, anybody who's familiar with economic game theories probably heard of the prisoner's dilemma before. And if not, it's worth checking out and learning a bit about. But anybody who's been in a community where this has played out probably knows what this is. And I think that most of us are seeing these kinds of dynamics play out, especially at the national level in the US right now between Democrats and Republicans. And I think the general inability for this dynamic two locked in sides with differing interests or incentives to produce good results is one of the reasons we don't just lock a plaintiff and a defendant in a room together and say, hey, work everything out and find some consensus. It's the reason we have mediators and judges or juries. I think it's the reason we have three branches of government, not two. It's the reason we have referees. And to some degree, you can make the argument it's the reason we have government at all. Some outside external third party that's theoretically somewhat objective that is able to mediate and adjudicate differing interests or disputes between different parties. Especially important when there is two different entities or stakeholders that seem to have opposing incentives or interests. But many communities don't actually have anybody playing this role right now. And I think there's an increasing challenge to whether governments can actually play this role. And this challenge seems to be increasing, sometimes due to a lack of multi-party political competition or any political competition, sometimes due to too much and too um, divergent political competition. Sometimes it's because of an inadequate or non-existent local media. Sometimes it's because of crumbling or disappearing local civic institutions. And some of it, I think, is from the intense national political and cultural dynamics that are changing norms in how we consume information, engage with other people, and trust decision-making institutions. That's coming down to the local levels. And I've got four different ideas here that we can think about that might push back on some of these dynamics on a more conceptual level that I wanted to share with you all here. First is that ideally local media should provide some of this. Many towns, and I mentioned this statistic earlier, many towns don't have any local media at all. And some that do, the local media isn't thorough enough or adequate enough to really provide um, this sort of mediating force. Now, there are some places that do, that are lucky enough to have really great local media. And I think I was personally spoiled in South Orange and in Maplewood where we have pretty good local media that's pretty thorough and pretty professional, but a lot of communities don't have that or don't have any at all. And I've certainly noticed a huge difference in those kinds of communities. But there's no reason at the local level that we can't fund more local media activities. Um, and there are examples in different places of this kind of thing playing out. Um, and we could create, for example, at the local level, an additional taxing district, um, which sometimes there are already several, excuse me, several of, such as a fire district or something like that. And this taxing district might assess pennies on households, but collect enough money to be able to have a fund that an independent board of people could allocate out to local media or news activities. Maybe it's possible to use other legal mechanisms that are already in place 
So that idea sometimes is referred to as a community information district. New Jersey already has some infrastructure for something called a special improvement district that's meant to help revitalize and sustain downtown commercial economic activity, but perhaps which could be used for this too. And what's funny, I think a lot of towns actually already have a precedent and a framework in place. Many of us are familiar with local TV stations. And why not update that framework to include more modern technology? That local media framework for TV, why don't we update that and uh, to include the internet? So that's the first idea. Um, and I think that for local governments especially, but really for anybody at the local level, that we should find ways to allow local journalism and local media to exist. A project that I'm pursuing, that I've talked about on the podcast before, um, is creating some sort of way to, to build like an easy pass for uh, news consumption for individuals. Now, some places like libraries, for example, actually have access to sort of like database systems um, that do this, where they can buy a subscription and get access to thousands of different news sources. Why can't we as individuals do that? Um, there are a few products out there that sort of offer this, but doing this on a broader level and creating a revenue stream so that content creators don't have to rely on third-party advertising revenue to support their business, that might make it easier to create an environment where local media or local news could actually exist more than it does now. It might create the market conditions where that is more attainable. So that's the first idea, is that we really should have some local media playing this sort of mediating role on uh, in communities to help prevent this oppositional adversarial dynamic. The second point is that municipal governments can, I think, do more to encourage and support local civic type organizations. Um, I think we could all do more to support them. We've seen memberships of organizations like a Rotary Club or like a Lions Club or things like that that have really declined over the last several decades. Um, and I think part of the problem there is that we've lost some civic institutions um, or that some have disappeared completely and some have very few members or have a reduced scope um, when they could be playing a much more prominent role in our communities. They could be coming to local council meetings and giving updates about work they're doing to help build more empathy and collaboration in the community around these issues. And I'll reflect on an example from South Orange and Maplewood that I think is kind of interesting here. And so this was done in our communities, but in a different way. This was done um, around uh, issues around race. Um, now, many people, if you're familiar with South Orange and Maplewood, um, especially its time in the mm, late 80s, 90s, early 2000s, I mean, it's a community that has done tremendous work um, to create racially integrated neighborhoods um, and sustaining a level of diversity that was a really positive, uh, intentional positive part of our community and our culture. But much of that work for decades was not done by the municipal governments themselves, but was done by a nonprofit organization called the Community Coalition on Race. Um, and they did a wide variety of programming and activities over those years that helped push back against old historical uh, problems, especially with how uh, race is treated in real estate and housing. 
Um, and they did an amazing job in a lot of areas and are a big reason why the communities have been able to sustain such a positive culture and movement around issues around race. And that organization, which actually, believe it or not, one council member in South Orange attempted to defund one year and community support came out and um, we were able to continue our small amount of funding um, to the organization with some updated expectations. Um, these things, what the organization did was uh, work that probably the local governments could not have done, certainly could not have done as effectively. The work they did was broadly supported by the community and largely community-driven. And it was work that spanned the tenure of dozens of elected officials over decades. There's often not even that kind of political stability in a local government to work on something that consistently. So they played a huge and valuable role in the community. And personally, I get really excited thinking about what something like that could look like in a community where a nonprofit organization that was independent from the municipal government, but had some aligned values with the local government and with the community, what could that look like if it was focused on um, strengthening the civic ecosystem in a community. We could do that same thing. We could empower organizations that already exist or create new ones that would work alongside stakeholders, but not be necessarily beholden to the politics in a given community. Really interesting opportunity, I think. Third, a really cool and exciting frontier are public libraries. Public libraries are consistently rated as one of the most trusted and least politically biased institutions out there. And they are in almost every community. You know, I've spent so much time traveling across New Jersey and the United States, and there's a few things that you see in pretty much every town, no matter how small they are. And one of them is a public library. I've seen one-room public libraries. Not to mention the really cool trend over the last five years or so of like the tiny libraries where people build like a bookshelf, you know, in a public park or something. Um, but libraries are all over the place. And in some of the communities that I've worked in um, as a business administrator, for example, the libraries actually had a much deeper engagement into the community than the municipal government did themselves. And I've talked to a number of librarians and library directors um, in different places, not just in New Jersey, but other states and actually other countries. Um, and some of the ideas, I wanted to share a couple ideas that have come up here. Now, all of these, some of these are uh, ideas related to what libraries already do. Some of them require putting, dipping a toe into some areas that might be related to a library's existing charge but would be also a little bit new. But a lot of the feedback that I got from librarians was that libraries are already hubs and resources of information in a lot of communities, especially on a one-off basis where people will come in and ask questions of librarians and they attempt to plug people in to being able to find credible information about whatever their questions are that they're thinking through. Um, so some of this, so I'll share a couple different ideas here. One is civic engagement workshops. A lot of libraries, and especially K through 12 libraries and some university libraries, they offer classes like digital media literacy that are aimed at helping people navigate information online, how to differentiate credible versus non-credible, how to understand the biases of different places and things like that when they're searching for information online. 
building that out a little bit more to include what you do with that information, your responsibility as a digital citizen of sharing information, things like that, that relate, that plug that into how decisions are made at a local level, how you engage with other people at a local level could be really interesting. I think a great example of a class title would be how to uh, disagree with your neighbors without hating them. I could see a lot of communities where unfortunately something like that would be really, really relevant. Um, and I think that you could find, you could create a program like this. Maybe it's a two or a four hour session in one or two classes, get local community and civic leaders to sign up and take it and try to move the needle a little bit forward um, in terms of people committing to engage in more constructive ways. And that that's gonna come from an apolitical source. It's not gonna come from elected officials or people with a political incentive. A second thing that could be really interesting, and I might be actually working with one library on this uh, very project. I'm actually talking to a couple libraries about um, all of these different ideas, and it's been really exciting. Um, so this one is having libraries play uh, a larger role in broader programming about uh, voter information, election information, like how elections work, some of the different strengths and weaknesses in our election system, maybe how ballots are designed, how candidates get on ballots in the first place, how campaign finance laws work, just helping people sort of understand what's out there already, what the rules are, and be able to think about them in a critical fashion, understand where there are areas where we need improvement and where there are areas that work pretty well. There's both out there, and I think allowing people a space to have a nuanced conversation about this instead of falling into one side or the other could be really valuable. And this could include information about how different levels of government work, these, again, strengths and weaknesses or the constraints placed on them, and get people plugged in more deeply to um, how things work so that they can best imagine new solutions or ways to address problems that are out there. Um, I've seen success in a lot of towns, including in South Orange, about where when people would move to town, we would do this. We would have like a fair where people would learn about different departments and how things work. And that is something that could be expanded to uh, be provided on a more regular basis. Another thing that's really interesting that requires threading a little bit of a finer needle, but is a super interesting opportunity, is, is public libraries actually uh, hosting workshops and discussions on local issues that are being debated or considered by a local government entity. And so the point here would not be for the library to take a stand on the issue. In fact, they would have to be ultra careful to not do that, but have librarians facilitate conversations that are aimed at just getting people to talk to each other and learn from each other. There's not a lot of space for that and how a lot of local issues get worked on. And how many places do you know where you can go right now and have an open and constructive conversation with people who might be different than you or who might disagree with you? It's really hard to do that online and there's not that many places that offer this in person. And so, um, if somebody, if there's an issue coming up, an ordinance, a budget, 
Um, now, instead of, you know, a lot of places, the workflow tends to be, you know, an item gets posted on an agenda. Often there's not even backup material available, so people don't always understand the full context of the issue. That's an area that local governments could do a little better on, I think, is anytime they're posting information or something that's important to be voted on, provide all of the resources and context and links, um, and I'll come back to this in a minute, of what was already been discussed and what's already known about this. So people have some context and history for the issues. So sometimes those issues get posted. People go on social media. The government isn't always quick to respond to requests, and it's often not very dynamic. You might have to wait until the next council meeting in two weeks when it's going to be voted on. So people go on social media, and often they end up getting engaged in really counterproductive conversations. Sometimes they might get good information, and oftentimes they don't get good information about what's going on. Um, then people write speeches. Then they come to a council meeting. And... You know, if it's not an election year and not a lot of people show up, the governing body may do the same thing they were planning on doing. And if it's a competitive election year and a lot of people show up, they may do the opposite. This is a little oversimplified, but it's not that oversimplified, right? The steps in the process here are not great. It's not very interactive for people in the community, and it's not very interactive for the government and the community either. It's hard for people in government to learn and get good feedback from the community. And it's hard for the community to learn and get good feedback from the government. There's just not a lot of interactive spaces that exist. Um, the next thing that could be done is uh, libraries build collections of information on different topics, and they could do that on local issues, which I think is a really cool potential idea and came up uh, I was suggested by a library director in a conversation I was having recently. And so, for example, if someone in a community has a question about should we do a natural versus artificial turf field, they could go to the library and find information on local environmental issues or capital purchasing and budgeting, and that the municipal government would not necessarily be the only place that would try to organize information, but there are already, you know, information organization experts employed by local governments at public libraries. They know how to do this. Many of them have degrees in this field. This is what they do professionally. So let's bring them into the process more and help and allow and empower them to organize some of the existing information about these topics. So now someone can go to a library collection and see past meeting minutes and videos and records and decisions that were made. Maybe information that's submitted and vetted by people in the community, maybe outside resources, examples of what's happening in other communities. And now people could go find that information and you could perhaps change the culture so that when people have questions about stuff or have an opinion on an idea, we could guide them towards places where they can learn more about it and hopefully incorporate some of the new information they're seeing with what they already think. And the fourth idea here is that communities and local governments could empower individuals more. Um, I've advocated in communities for the creation of something like a civic champion or a community collaborator or something like that. I know those are kind of corny titles, um, but they are really important potential functions. Um, part of the problem is that in a lot of communities, um, especially on social media, right, the local government is not really able to moderate those uh, conversations. It's really hard to do, especially because there's a lot of gray area in the law. Um, and even participating in conversations online can sometimes open up local governments to liability. It's really complicated. Um, but somebody needs to be doing that. 
Um, and I think there's ideas here where people could do something like this on a scale somewhere between very informal and very formal, right? On an informal basis, maybe people in a community just volunteer on their own to not necessarily push their own opinions or agenda, but just spend an hour a week checking out conversations on Facebook or next door or something like that and helping guide the conversations in constructive directions, helping provide information that may already be out there, helping turn down the temperature on arguments or debates, and making sure things aren't personal and stay on track a little bit. On a more formal, maybe those people take a civic engagement class, or maybe they get a handout from the local government or one of these independent civic institutions that are strategies for helping um, guide collaborative discussion online. Maybe it's a little more formal and they get a training, like I mentioned. Maybe it's a little more formal and they're on a committee or they are part of an actual organization in town and they become self-designated moderators of discussion in the community. And that I think even a small community, a half a dozen or a dozen people who commit to that and commit to just helping guide conversations and guide people towards building consensus and learning from each other could make a huge difference in the health and sustainability of our local civic ecosystems. Um, so that is a fourth idea that I think is especially important in communities that don't have local media. And getting people involved that way, uh, again, I think could be really, really valuable and also meaningful for them because they might then decide that they wanna get more involved. Maybe then they'll volunteer on a committee or maybe run for office themselves, which would be really cool. So I'll close this with the following. About five years ago, I created and ran a nonpartisan nationwide leadership development program called Pathways for America. Um, and in that program, we brought hundreds of people from across the country um, in very different age ranges, different socioeconomic backgrounds, urban, rural areas all over the country together to talk about um, how we create a better civic future. I worked with some pretty awesome people on running that program, and we had some really interesting conversations with people who participated in it. And something I just wanted to reflect on was that we brought people from such diverse backgrounds into these conversations. We had dozens of conversations in person and online in different parts of the country, and sometimes intentionally bringing people from different parts of the country to the same um, conversation online. And two things that came up in almost every one of those conversations was that A, people wanted there to be more civic education in public schools and for more young people and adults to have the opportunity to engage in conversations that help them participate like in a more constructive sort of way and learn how things work and learn how they can be critical of those ideas. Right. The idea isn't that you're learning how things work and adopting that mindset is that you're learning how things work so that you can form more comprehensive and targeted solutions that fix some of the problems that exist. So people wanted more civic education and they also wanted more opportunities to meet and talk to people who had different backgrounds and perspectives and experiences than they do. So many things in our country right now are just perpetuating filter bubbles in how we engage on the internet and on social media, to what colleges people go to, to what workplaces people are at, to what communities people live in, to different fast food companies and sports teams and leagues. 
we are sorting ourselves in a way that is not advantageous to us, though it is advantageous to other people who I don't think have our best interests in mind. And this dynamic that's happening around the world is playing out in a lot of local communities. And so these four different um, ideas, uh, empowering, finding ways to empower local media, finding ways to facilitate more robust local civic institutions, finding ways to plug public libraries into these conversations, and empowering individuals to be community moderators are all things that I think we could think about doing, especially at the local level, that might push back a little bit on the dynamics of this two-sided, locked-in, perpetual adversarialism where we're just swinging leadership back and forth between two opposing sides and not making a lot of progress. So I hope this was interesting, no matter what background you're coming to here. If you have any questions or wanna learn more about this kind of stuff, please always feel free to reach out to me. Again, I hope you enjoyed and I'll talk to you all soon. Hey everyone, Alex here. If you wanna find show notes, sources, and more information, you can do so in the YouTube description or online on my website at rethinkingwithalextorpy.com. Please don't hesitate to reach out to me with any questions or feedback at alex at rethinkingwithalextorpy.com or on social media. And if you liked what you heard, please consider leaving a positive review, subscribing, liking, or sharing this episode with a friend. Thanks again for listening.